Yes, welcome to the Man on Second on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Network. I'm Joe Forsaro, joined by our co-host producer, Dave D'Agostino. And uh, we're bringing fire, as always, every week. And this week, um, we're going to do some more. And the mission, as always, is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. And today, we will do so with a a long-time former Major League scout and advanced scout, Bob Johnson. But before we bring Bob in, I'm going to bring Dave in for some announcements. Dave, my friend, how are we doing today? Doing great today. Doing great. I just want to message to our audience, our faithful listeners. We're up to 17,800 plus subscribers as of today. We had well over 500 questions this morning, direct message on Facebook. So we're excited about the support. Just want to remind you guys, download, listen, like, subscribe, and make sure you rate and review. Because just like the baseball world, we battle the analytics of the podcast world. So if you rate and review, we can keep beating them and keep providing you great content like we do with Man on Second. podcast and with our other shows as well. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Those are our streaming devices. If you have another one, let me know. I'll certainly subscribe to it. Uh, You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're very active on there and follow Joe on his his, uh, network as well with Man on Second. We're in 72 countries right now, grassroots baseball all the way to MLB front offices. So we got the year of the right people. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ. And just a reminder to our audience you know, this show, like all our other shows, we have no time for the comfortable little lies that are being told in sports right now. So sit tight as we hit you straight forward uh, with some of the uncomfortable truths. So, Joe, we'll leave it to you. We'll introduce our great guest for today. Yeah. And as you know, Dave and um, and uh, Bob and I go way back uh, for many, many years. And scouts to me are as much the lifeblood of the sport of baseball as anyone. Obviously, it's the players come first. They are the game. But and then coaching development. And scouting is paramount and very vital. And my guest today has been on the pro ranks for over four decades. Uh, Formerly, just off the top of my head, Bob, correct me when I bring in uh, with the the, the A's, the Nationals, the the Mets, um, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody. But uh, we're going to bring Bob in. Bob was a former advanced scout. We're going to touch on advanced scouting, scouting in general, player development, and much, much more. But with no further ado, uh, Bob, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing? Hi, Dave. Doing good. Who am I missing? Who, who am I missing? Where, where else were you? I, I just off the top of my head. I, I was started in Pittsburgh. You were with the, the A's, to, the Braves? And I, went, I went to Montreal first. And then I went to Oakland. Montreal? I was in Oakland for eight years. And I went to Montreal for 12, actually. And then uh, was with advanced for Oakland for eight years. Then went to Texas. And then they computer gerbled me out. And then I went to the Mets and then to the Atlanta Braves and then to Washington Nationals. Nationals. Basically, yeah. I, tried to yeah. stay, I tried to stay uh, one step ahead of the computer gerbils. And I finally <laughs> yeah. ran out of the Cubs to go to. Yeah, it was a challenge and such. But, Bob, let's, we're going to jump right in. And and I want to hit up with just, just you know, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. But I want to hit on on advanced scouting and talk about in its heyday when, when you were at the top of your game, advanced scouting, you know, what that was like and, and where did it go where now, obviously, with television and video uh, and, the, and the metrics, they aren't relying. Many teams don't have the advanced scouts. So just kind of give a little overview on most that. Most teams don't of, have advanced scouts industry. anymore. Yeah, most teams don't have advanced guys anymore, and it shows. It shows on the product that's on the field. Uh, basically, when I first started, 
advancing. That was with Montreal in 96, and they went to uh, over. Uh oh, lost connection. You still hear me? Hello. Anyway, are you back? Hello. Ah, success. Reconnected. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm back. Gotcha. Here we go. Okay. All right. When I first started uh, full-time yeah. advancing yeah, with Oakland up. in 97, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was – those were the glory days with the A's. This is uh, – we didn't have a very big staff, and I was – Art Howe was managing the club, and we put together a uh, an advanced program with the A's was keyed with Art and with uh, the best pitching coach I ever worked for, Rick Peterson. Uh, we put together an advanced program that got us into the playoffs practically every year until Art moved on and Rick moved on, and then all of a sudden, Oakland moved on to the out of the playoffs. But that's another story in itself. And then I went from there to Texas for two years with John Hart, and uh, he left to go to Atlanta and the new regime was a gerbil regime, so I moved on to the Mets and was there and then on to Atlanta and Washington until finally uh, they decided that advanced scouts aren't necessary anymore. Basically, what we did is we provided information to the big league staff how to pitch the opposition hitters and for our pitchers how to pitch to their hitters. And back when I was with Oakland, we didn't even have a computer. This was all write it up. Fax it in. It was uh, it was basically chalk on a chalkboard type stuff. It was ancient history. And then when I went to Texas, I was fortunate enough. Uh, the Buck Showalter had hired Don Wakamatsu as his bench coach, and he was a computer guy. And we designed a, an advanced form where I could actually use a computer to provide all the information that I was writing up with Oakland. And it, uh, it was a time saver for sure. Even though I never, I never learned to type when I was a kid, but uh, I, I pecked my way through my reports, and then, but basically, what our job was, like I said, to identify weakness. For pitchers, it was where where does a guy not hit the ball? What kind of pitching mix can you do to get a guy out? The the biggest one of the biggest problems in baseball today is that pitchers are convinced that they have to use their entire arsenal to get hitters out and they have to strike them all out, which is a lot easier today because strikeouts don't matter anymore. But I see so many cases of pitchers throwing two high fastballs by a hitter, 0-1, 0-2, right by him, and then they decide, oh, let's see if I can throw a hanging slider and maybe he won't hit it 500 feet. And that's what happens in so many cases. And I bet you if you talk to scouts that cover the minor leagues, that pattern exists down there too because all of scouting nowadays is now computer-generated and it's all analyzed by people that never wore a jock in their lives. Yeah. If they did, it was grammar school gym class. You know, they were the third trombone in the band. They're the, but a lot of them are GMs now too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I digress a little bit. But basically what we did is analyze weakness. And whoever I, uh, employed me, that was my job, was to identify the weaknesses on the opposition team. And I would go out basically a series early 
or five pitchers early, and then I would jump. I'd, I'd fly 125, 150,000 miles a year, staying a series ahead of our opponents. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I loved it. it was a blast. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. And, and the quality of your work spoke for itself. But, you know, Bob, you hit on something that I really kind of want to amplify as well and really break down because I think the pitch sequencing or however you want to call it, how do you attack a hitter? Because you're, you're 100% right. You, you notice that, you know, now they'll look and they'll say, this hitter doesn't hit sliders. Like he hits like 115 on sliders away. So rather than they always go for the out pitch being the slider away. And like you say, you might have seen, you know, read the swings and how he's reacting or seeing that pitch. You may be throwing a couple, like you say, fastballs up in the zone by a hitter. But eventually that slider away is going to be the pitch. Now that's fine and dandy, obviously, but I've seen, and I even had people I've talked to on the, on the analytics side of teams say, because I've seen guys throw seven straight sliders away. Yeah. And, that, you know, the guy's hitting a home run off them. I'm like, why aren't you sequencing? Why aren't you setting up hitters? Why is it always, you know, has to be, you know, what the odds say that he hits 112 on sliders away, so only throw sliders away? That's exactly the problem, is that pitchers, well, pitchers can't are not allowed to think anymore, first of all. They can't. Uh, the pitchers that thought, the, the guys that I had, I mean, tell me the Pedro Martinez doesn't have a little computer in his head, knows how to approach a hitter, what a hitter has, is doing, what his what the hitter's approach is. Good pitchers identify what hitters can and can't do, at least they used to. And you look at the, the greats in the, in, in the past. They all knew what they had to do. What kind of pitch got people out? And what I would do is I would analyze the hitters in my job and say, these are the weaknesses for this guy. And I always was fortunate in that the first, well, Rick Peterson always told me, and this is, this was gospel to me, it remains gospel. The best pitch in baseball is a located fastball down and away and then command the strike zone with other fastballs in on the black on the hands and go back and forth a little bit with it. But if you can't throw a fastball where you want to throw a fastball, you are not going to be successful. Now, are there specialty relievers that get away with just throwing slider after slider after slider? Yeah, sometimes. Every once in a while you get guys like that. But it's not very common that you can get guys out with just breaking balls. Yeah, and it and it seems now, you know, it, it has to be like you noted, uh, the, the the entire arsenal. You know, the first batter of the game, if a pitcher has three pitches, fastball, changeup, slider, that hitter is seeing that. And then you go as far as you can, fast as you can, you know, until you run out of steam, which is usually the fourth or fifth inning for 80% of these nowadays, starters. Nowadays, that's, that's another one of my pet peeves, yeah. is that pitchers are not trained to pitch any distance anymore. It used to be, you look back at the record books, look at all the great pitchers that used to complete games, that used to go pitch into the seventh and eighth inning all the time because they were trained that way. Basically, baseball is a repetitive industry. If you work on something, if you run in the outfield, when was the last time we saw pitchers run in the outfield like they used to? 
to build up your leg strength, which is basically what pitching is. Look at Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan pitched until he was 100 years old because he had strong legs and good mechanics. Yeah, he had a great fastball, but at all, if you ask Nolan what his fastball strength was, this is all my legs. And Nolan also had other things you can't do anymore, like push a guy back. But, uh, you know, command of a fastball is still the most important skill a pitcher has. Jamie Moyer used to strike guys out with 80-mile-an-hour fastballs, but he set them up well. Yeah. Guys weren't looking. They were looking for Jamie's changeup, and he threw the fastball right by him at 80. So, Pat, do you 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 think that we're seeing because the the game plan for – you know, whoever the hitter is, let's say that, yeah, that's the hitter. You're getting him out. You know, like I said, he's hitting 112 on sliders down the way, so we're only going to throw it there. Do you think that really has just kind of created one game plan for that player instead of, like you say, setting the hitter up? Because guess what? You can get him in on the fastball in, you know, <laughs> you know, just as, as easily, you know, as long as you're, you know, pitching and setting up the hitter. Are we losing the art of setting up the, the hitter as a pitcher? Oh, yeah. Favor oh, no of question. You know, it's just the, the cookie cutter, and every hitter knows his strengths and weaknesses, and they know how they're pitched. No, there's no question about that, and and also the good hitters make adjustments at bat to at bat. I was watching the game last night with Boston Justin Turner, who I had with with the Mets when we got him from Cincinnati, and uh, the Mets didn't use him right. And he went over to L.A., reworked his swing, and all of a sudden he's a competitive baseball player for a decade. And it's uh, because hitters make adjustments too. The good hitters make adjustments all the time. My One of my toughest outs ever was Edgar Martinez. Edgar went would, would hit the ball pole to pole. He had power. He had a great eye. He knew the strike zone. And uh, – he, Joey Bell, or Albert Bell now, were just great hitters because they adjusted at bat to at bat. It ended up with Manny Ramirez, who the, the, it's funny, the best pitch to throw Manny Ramirez in a two strike situation was a fastball right dead down the middle because he didn't expect it. And hitters, hitters guess. I mean, they guess more than ever now, which is why everybody in the baseball strikes out a million times a year. But uh, the guess hit, the intelligent guess hitters really can take advantage of that. Jeff Kent was one of the best slider hitters in baseball because he always knew when the fastball was coming and when the slider was coming. And so hitters will take no, have an idea what the pitch is, and then good hitters don't cover the plate. They cover half the plate until they get the two strikes. I want the ball in. I want the ball away. Yeah, And what they'll do is if you, you have to make a pitch in the zone that the hitter's not looking for. And like for me, locate a fastball is a cure-all. If you can locate a fastball, you're going to do pretty well in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, great points, great points. Dave, jump in. Yeah, uh, we, Bob, we have a very educated audience, so I'm okay if we get down in the weeds on this one. Um when you're preparing an advanced scout report, you know, talk to our audience a little bit about where you start, you know, what, where, you, where your mind starts with and, 
and be, feel free to get into some specifics, whether it's offense, <laughs> base running, or defense, or you know, uh, particular hitters, wherever you want to take it. Uh, you mean base running like it used to be, defense like it used yeah. to be, or like it yeah. is now? Yes, no, please not like this right now because it doesn't exist right now. It so. doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And the reason for that is getting back to what I said earlier, nobody runs anymore. Right. I mean, nobody – go to a – fans, go to a Major League Baseball game three hours early. You should, should see a hitting coach taking some extra players out, working on a specific skill. Bunting, have you seen bunting recently? Not very much. Have you seen anybody playing pepper? Not very much. Those are skills – that develop back control. Those are skills that develop baseball knowledge and how to get on base, which still is the most important stat in the business. The most important stats, when you look up stats for a season, to me, are still runs and RBIs. I don't care about the home runs. It doesn't matter. If you hit – there's a player around here that has 10 home runs and 19 RBIs. That is not a functional player. Solo home runs don't beat you normally. Guys that drive in a lot of runs are the guys that beat you, the Tony Perez's of the world. So how do you game plan against that? All right. I my I walk in. Well, first of all, I do a lot of stat work beforehand in my room, in the hotel room. And then I'll get the lineup, and I will. I know who's pitching. I know what that pitcher's strengths are, what that pitcher's weaknesses are. And I will look at a hitter, and the first thing I wrote, down every game was where the stance was. Was it an open stance? Was it a closed stance? Was it straight on? And the kind of stride that the hitter took. Now, everybody nowadays dives because you can't enforce the strike zone anymore, thanks to the commissioner. You know, you can't you can't drill anybody, which is the best the best method of, of controlling the strike zone is pushing them off the strike zone. And if you nick them every once in a while, and especially nowadays where they wear coats of armor up to the plate, I mean, there's very little, very little room to, to actually hurt somebody in the strike zone anymore. You have to hit them in the neck. That's the only place you can get them. And then you're going to get your ass thrown out of the game. Bob Gibson nowadays would have 35 starts and pitch 50 innings because he'd be out of the game in the second inning every game. There are a number of other pitchers that were aggressive, let's say, with fastballs. Gibby was my favorite, because he, he actually hated opposition uniforms, period. Never even talked to him, didn't do anything. But uh, anyway, I will look at a lineup. I know what, from past experience, and I did this for 20 years in the big leagues, what a guy likes to hit, what he can't hit, and that I will see stance and stride as he is he doing something different. Hitters will make adjustments at the plate, just like pitchers make adjustments on the mound. A hitter will, if he, he's not doing very well against stuff inside, which is rare nowadays because nobody throws the ball inside, uh, he'll make an adjustment, maybe open up, maybe move his hands in different location. I note all that. That's the first thing I'd write down when a hitter came to the plate. I would always take down where the opposition was playing a hitter also, which you don't really do as much anymore because all these the, the gerbils have their own little plans for all the hitters. But thing is, and the other thing that frosts me like crazy is they'll put down one for fastball, and some guys have a little better fastballs than others do. So if you're trying to get me out with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball or a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, it's a little different. 
little different start time and so on. So I want to know basically what kind of stuff that the hitter's going to be looking for. Because let's face it, all hitters early in the count are looking for something they can drive, especially in today's home run derby baseball. They're looking to lift and separate. And so they all take wild swings at a lot of pitches, which is a lot. one of the reasons why the gerbils like to say, oh, throw him a breaking ball first pitch because he's thinking fastball. Well, if it's a breaking ball, it better be a good one because otherwise it's going to be one of those sliders from hell that ends up 500 feet away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, got a follow? Uh, yeah. So in, in conjunction with the with our advanced scouting you know, another area that we see kind of dwindling that I know is, is close to your heart is player development. They go hand in hand. Huh. Talk about player development back when, when player development existed and, and, and you touch it, obviously hit on it as hard as you want, where, where it's gone today and what it's done to the game. All right. Player development is back in the days where pit, you'd have 10 pitchers on your minor league team or nine, and you'd have your starters, four or five, and then you'd have your relievers, but they worked. And worked and worked. They all ran, first of all, to get their leg, to get endurance. They had a throwing program between starts for the starters. And they worked. It's it's I've seen in the minor leagues nowadays, you see these teams that have 47 pitchers on their roster and they pitch two innings a month. What good is that? Development. What's the word development mean? The word development means train a guy, take a raw talent. Modify that talent, polish the talent, and let that person move up. Well, player development also on the pitching side, well, for both sides really, is more social promotion than it used to be. Back in the day, whether you were a first-round draft or a 50th-round draft, you still had to produce on the field. You were not going to be promoted if you were hitting 220, but you're a first-round draft. So, oh, we got to move you up. We just gave you gazillions of dollars where the other athlete who was hitting 210, 220, 230 had to work like hell to get to be a better player to possibly get in the mix for a major league utility job or whatever. Uh, the other thing with player development that doesn't happen anymore, uh, other than not, pitchers don't run, nobody plays pepper, they don't work on skills. Back in the day, every team in the big leagues had a right fielder that could throw. He could throw you out at third or home. Nowadays, teams are lucky if they have one outfielder that can throw decent. It's ridiculous. Nobody throws the ball anymore. Nobody long tosses anymore. Nobody does any of that. Hitters don't work with their hitting coaches, and the hitting coaches a lot of times now are guys that are out of the computer world or the perfect game world or the, the travel team world that don't know their ass from the hole in the ground when it comes to hitting. Go hire some ex-players that understand. It's 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 horrible the amount of of la the lack of experience in professional baseball amongst the staffs in the minor leagues. There are staffs in the minor leagues that don't have anybody who played the game professionally. This is a very tough game to play. I talk a lot with Jeff Fry, a little utility infielder who ended up playing probably close to ten years in the big leagues with uh, Toronto and Boston, and he was a low draft, and he had to fight like hell to get to the big leagues. And when he got there, he was a very valuable guy because he could do all the little things. He could bunt. When was the last time I saw hitters work on bunting? 
He could hit and run, hit behind the runner. These are all things that are foreign to today's players. Now, the shift stuff helps a little and only a little. I mean, one of my favorite guys to watch nowadays is Jeff McNeil with the Mets because he plays the game the right way. He goes the other way. If the pitcher's going to pitch away away, he'll slap it into left field. He's, just, he's a left-hand hitter. He gets on base. He's one of his big bombers. Yeah, yeah. Bob, do you think in, in terms of development that what, I, what I'm noticing is either guys get rushed because somebody wants to look good to say they got a 20, 21-year-old in the big leagues fast and help them <laughs> with the scouting board or, or it looks like their draft is better, or they quit on a kid too early as well. I noticed those two things are, are kind of the same where I see good talent, but, oh, he's only hitting like 200 in AAA. Meanwhile, you know, you you know Jack McKean used to talk about minor leagues being development, and that's where you should go work on what you're doing and be less concerned with numbers. But it seems like that's the kind of the tell-all to advance people is minor league numbers. Jack McKean is dead, absolutely right, 100% right. You should earn your – Earn your way up the scale. Succeed in low A to get promoted to high A. Succeed in high A to get promoted to double A. Succeed in double A to get promoted to the big leagues. Nowadays, you you identified it. The money guys get promoted no matter what. And the lower draft players don't get enough time to play. Now, they with these rosters being what they are, I, I focused on the pitchers mostly because there's not a pitcher in the world that can get better throwing two innings a week. Nobody. No starter, no reliever, no nobody. Uh, but if you if your minor league pitching staffs have 15 or 17 guys, where are the innings for these people? If they're not going to be able to pitch with your double-A club and they're getting two innings a week, send them down to A-ball. Let them develop down there. I mean, it's amazing. With You talk about rushing guys. There are very few guys that can go in, into professional baseball, which is one of the most difficult sports, sports in the business, to get better and get better if you don't have a chance to play and talk to somebody that can help you along the way. The pitching coach problem in the minor leagues is disgusting. It's, it's horrible. There are so few pitching coaches in the minor leagues that have a clue what they're doing. I don't want a guy sitting looking at an iPad. I want a guy watching the game. I want a guy looking at his pitcher. What can he do? What, how can I change him? How can I make him better? Uh, there aren't very many pitching coaches that have any background as to what to do to make him better. Yeah. How much – how do you – I guess I'm getting that, Bob. How do you kind of um, get a guy – to be have the mentality of a feel for pitching is kind of what we're getting at in a lot of ways that that player, that pitcher can kind of carve his own path and, and, and do kind of uh, work with, because obviously we, we want, and let's make this good to our audience and you could sense Bob's passion and frustration with the sport. And it's shared by many and Bob is, is saying it, but we all want a better baseball product. That that's the bottom line here. So how do you get somebody who has the desire to have the feel that, look, yeah, today, you know, I get it. This guy doesn't hit sliders, but my slider isn't there today. I feel, but my changeup's there, my fastball there. I got to get by with, I'll show him a slider just to show it, but I'm going to use the fastball and changeup to get guys out today. 
how do you kind of navigate in kind of like you say there's a cookie cutter mentality there's a the game plan is the game plan is the game plan no matter what and we know we know that a lot of these minor league coaches in fairness to them aren't being paid super high and a player says boo about them uh, that's a bonus baby and that and that coach is fired so that that's why this is going on but how can you how can we uh, get a little more feel that a little more creativity where the pitcher or the hitter conversely, same operation for them can, can let their talents emerge with them having an input. That comes from the people at the top who have experience to relay that, that very fact down below. You have to have, there are very few good managers in baseball. There are 30 managers out there, but there aren't very many good ones. And isn't it funny how the, the Dusty Bakers and the Bruce Bochies, all of a sudden, they go to t- and they win. Oh, my goodness. How did that happen? Well, there's a reason for that. You have to have some trust in your system. You have to have people leading your systems who know what they're doing. Just because a guy was a college coach doesn't mean that that game translates to professional baseball. You have to have background. You have to have people who have been through the wars, so to speak, and teaching guys using what they have to make guys better. I can give you, I can list dozens of names of people that are unemployed right now who should be pitching coaches in the minor leagues, who should be hitting coaches in the minor leagues. They can help their kids get better and better. Yeah, I think you hit on a word, and I and I just wrote it down on a piece of paper and underlined it. Trust. How do we get it? Hire people that will do it. Yeah. Why Brian Sabian is not a general manager somewhere is beyond me. Dan O'Dowd, why he is not a general manager somewhere is beyond me. Those two guys had some success because they had trust in their program. In the, the program, means the hitting program, the pitching program, the big league team. There are guys who want to go out and hire good people to lead their programs. I know Mark Wiley has been one of your frequent guests. Mark Wiley is one of the top pitching coaches in baseball. He was he was over in Cleveland when Cleveland kept on, kept on putting together playoff team after playoff team after playoff team. Charlie Manuel is out out in pasture now with the Phillies. Charlie's one of the best hitting coaches in the business. I mean, there are people out there who know. There are people who have experienced the highs and the lows. Because that's really what baseball is. The, The classic, of course, is Scott Kingry with the Phillies. Here's a kid that was a prospect on the way up as an infielder, up to double A, and then one of the genius hitting gurus, got hold of him, changed his swing, make him a home run hitter, which he never was, and it screwed up his career. And another one of the geniuses was the general manager of the club at the time, and he gave him a lot of money for nothing. He gave him two-plus million dollars in a four-year contract and didn't earn a penny of it. Why are we giving all this money to guys before they earn it? You have to earn in life. You have to earn your promotions. You have to earn your living by getting better at it. We don't do that in baseball anymore. Yeah. Bob, how do you take it's, it to the it, grassroots level? Because that seems where 
there. If you just could, if you get the players kind of buying into that, they're they're coming up, they're accustomed to what you're saying. Well, youth coaches. First of all, I'm a huge anti travel team guy. You can get better just playing three on three baseball in an open field. Catch a fly, hit the bat, hit grounders. You don't have to have a uniform and a hat and a schedule to get better in our sport. Go out and hit rocks on your farm. I mean, you, to get a better eye. There are a lot of things you can do. This game is fun if you play it right. If it's over organized, it, it, it's diminished. I know that there was a case, I don't know how many cases, well, you could name a gazillion cases of players who loved the game until they got through age 15, 16, 17. Then they just didn't like the game that much anymore because, one, they were always told that they were the next Mickey Mantle. Or, two, they were told that they're the next Sandy Koufax. No, not quite. Not quite. I saw Sandy when he was a kid, Lafayette High School. Threw hard. Wasn't a pitcher. He didn't learn to pitch until he got to the big leagues. There are guys that that just get better just playing. Play at whatever level you can. You don't have to have a uniform on to play. Just pick up games. Nobody does that anymore. Right? How many open fields do you drive by and see no kids playing on the field? That was not the case when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave's a big part of of uh, development at the young age. Dave, what do, you, what do you have to offer on this? I agree totally with Bob. It's uh, We actually have two days a week where no parents are allowed. The kids have to organize themselves. They got to legislate. They have to solve problems, pick teams. It's it's funny how the kids know who the best players are. Um, Absolutely. You know, they, 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 know, they know how to, and, and they come up, if you let them, they come up with ways sometimes that are better than what you would do if you were out there over coaching, over instructing, but they all have swing coaches now, Bob. They all have, I don't call them hitting coaches. They're not, they don't teach them hitting. They teach them one track swings. They have throwing coaches who are into chasing velocity. And uh, I'm I'm with you hundred percent. I told you before the show that (laughs) you, you found a home here with the, with the mindset. I want you to talk about, um, and I think it'll be a nice segue from what you were saying when you were, getting into the, you know, the bird dog scouts don't exist anymore. They don't run tryout camps right. anymore. When you would run one, let's say for the pirates, what was the pirates way? What were you, when you were there, how did you run one? What were you looking for? Why is it important the way you set it up? All right. I would, I ran probably 30 tryout camps a year when I was with the pirates. I'd just go into an area, get some local coaches. Who are your best kids to see? First thing I'd do, I would go and tape out a 60 yard dash to find out who can run and who can't run and who's a marginal runner. Um, funny story on, on running speed though. Uh, Mark DeRosa, who's a big shot with the MLB network. Now he went to the university of Penn and he went to a Catholic high school up in New Jersey and he wasn't a great runner, but he could play. He could really play, but that didn't, that wouldn't pass the pirate model. Cause he ran seven, one and a 60. Oh, geez. Did he fall down for a pirate? For a pirate, you had to be in the sixes if you were going to get signed. And you know they had a they had a even you know the, the mantra in Pittsburgh when I was there was Willie Stargell ran a six seven sixty when he signed. Willie Stargell was also about a buck eighty. He was a skinny ass kid with monster power. But that was one of the things that 
we always had to do. The next thing we did is we took all the outfielders and all the infielders, put them in positions, and have them throw just to see arm strength. That was the next thing we did. For catchers, we'd have them throw to third. We'd have them throw to second. We'd have we'd work out their, their arm strength and their athleticism. You can see a lot of athleticism as a, the way a kid runs a 60-yard dash. You can see he's maybe flopping by the time he gets to the end of it. You could he uh, he may run through it like a sprinter. The best the best running exhibition I ever saw as a kid was Bob Hayes, receiver with the Cowboys, and Henry Carr, who was playing defensive back for the Giants. And Bob Hayes caught a ten yard pass. Carr was covering him. He was a step behind him, and the next sixty yards. You saw the best running form in the history of, of sport down the field. Hayes stayed ahead of him, scored a touchdown. I mean, those types of things just sit in my mind like crazy. That you can see athleticism on the field with running and throwing. Just how a guy moves, how a guy handles the, the glove, how a, a middle infielder handles the transfer. There are a lot of things that you can see. There are a lot of guys who get better. It's the last thing uh, that comes, I think, is, is quality fielding, especially for infielders. There are guys who are may have hard hands, and they work at it. They take a lot of fungos. They get better at it. Uh, Greg Nettles is a great example of that. He had a rock for a hand when he first started. ended up being a gold-glove third baseman because he worked at it. He took ground balls every day. How? When was the last time you saw coaches hitting 50 or 100 ground balls to players pregame? You don't see it anymore. I was going to ask you that. That that used to happen pregame plus make every live BP. Where where is that gone? Uh, Same place, Pepper, right? They it said load management. They got to rest the guys, right, Bob? They they, you if they play five days, they need four days off. You know, it's um, yeah. And I I noticed that too when I go to to the ballpark and and just in spring training. I I think I've noted that in this show before. Last couple of years, going to spring training, I used to love being in spring training and being out there real early and seeing the, the players taking early work and all that other stuff. Now you're, you're lucky to see a full day of infield practice during spring training. That's right. Because, Oh, oh poor guys might get tired. Oh, well, long season. Yeah. But the thing oh. is, is that, the, is that the player's fault or is that the administrator's fault? That's the administrator's I think the be, fault. You know, I think the players want to be good ball players. I don't think there's any question. They want to do what they can and be great players and play great seasons and, and they're eager to learn, but like I said, I think they're that's how they're being groomed. And they will work. They will work, but you have to work them. You have yeah. to get the pitchers out throwing. You've got to get the players out taking ground balls. Every pitcher for years spent his off day hitting ground balls to infielders. Every day you'd go to the big league park, you'd have pitchers hitting ground balls to the third baseman, to the shortstop, to the second baseman, to the first baseman in between batting practice pitching. And back then you took batting practice on the field. Oh, my goodness. What a concept. They don't do that anymore. They're hitting cages. It's a shame a lot of these hitters can't bring their cages out to the field to hit because that's their perspective. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Bob, as we're we're kind of winding this down, Bob, who are some of the young guys in the game you you like what you're seeing and and see potential? Uh, Basically, look at the – 
Well, we all know the names of the Acunas and people like that. They, they Acuna's got a chance to be a superstar if he isn't already. Uh, other guys, well, you're down in Miami. Jazz is a pretty good player, but he's got to get his game together first. Yeah, he's he has right to, yeah. He's, he has, he has to understand that being a professional baseball player is not being an actor on a stage. I mean, back in the day, he would not be doing that because the pitchers would take care of that problem. But nowadays, all these guys that, that hit home runs and they plug themselves all the way around, I would like to have one guy in a dugout with a Zippo lighter. And as the guy with the home run hat comes around, I'd like to see that player light up that hat and burn it. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not going to happen, obviously. Cause it's, but uh, it would be it, – it's just something that has to happen. They have to police the system some way. I mean, yeah, it was too bad that Buster Posey got hit at the plate. Well, maybe if he'd been in a better position, he may not have been drilled so bad. There were Watch Pete Rose take out Ray Fossey. That's how you try to score a run if you have to. How about second base, Bob? That's, uh, that was my position. And as I was showing young kids, because we, we have a pretty large grassroots <laughs> contingency, uh, we try to give back. Ask Hal McCray. I was question. just at, just, I'm 50 years old and I was still turning it. So hard and I was doing my hop at field. the end. And um, one of the kids said, why do you hop every time? Anyway, and yeah, I'm thinking, like, they don't have to deal with that protect- anymore. I said, yeah. I hop to save my life. I mean, there are that guys, was self-preservation. A lot of guys, to, uh, a lot of veterans and jump over the top of the runner who was going to slide through the bag and try to upend me. Um, guys but, uh, that came in hard you know, at him. How do we get that back? Or they I mean, rolled that's, that's the, the part two. of the games that were, uh, the famous as you're Bob talking, Harrelson plays at the plate. At the you got to be in position. Uh, where he got hit these at hitters, the, at so base. comfortable. You don't do that My anymore. son's a nobody, catcher, and it, it drives him nuts right. when he sees a guy with his back foot starting to dig I mean, in they don't, um, to the plate, showing that he's too comfortable. We can't move anymore. How do we get this little hop at the end of a double play situation? Never. The reason you took that little hop, you practiced that little hop, is that guy from first base was going to come and try to bury your butt. Oh, did I stump him, Joe? So you had to be able to hop <laughs> over him. Bob, you think Now they just get, kind of get in the area there and just, you know, tick the base. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> um, it's not yeah, baseball. I mean, yeah, not baseball point, the way it should be played. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you get it back without just um, – you know, players just having that love but, for the game. I don't know. Yeah. Game's I think changed. with ours, what we've tried to do is, uh, you know, we still make them do it. In anticipation that at some point in time, um, that that's going to be just like catching, right? We, we we talk about now stealing is becoming a part of the game because the bags are bigger. There's that, that clock that's getting teams know. to run more. But yeah, I'm still here. Our pitchers have not been schooled enough on how to hold runners. And so our catchers still the- are on one knees and – haven't been schooled on throwing runners out. So that part of the game is now going to be forced to get better, which I'm glad about. I don't like the big bases or the, or necessarily the clock. I know uh, I like, you know, people like the game moving quicker, but um, I'm glad that's at least forced now another part of the game to be, to be learned. The the pitchers have to get better at controlling the running game and the catcher. So um, hopefully we see that with the runners being, you know, with the second baseman, I certainly didn't like to get upended, but uh, it was a badge of courage. It was, you know, Hey, you're going to get that thing in and out of your hands as quickly as you can. And if he doesn't slide, what we were taught was, you know, you you aim right at the top of that helmet and uh, he'll get down in a hurry. Yeah. If you do that. It's interesting what you're saying, Dave, because, you know, being down here in South Florida and seeing uh, the youth level, the high school level for many years, and then going back to it this year, 
more so. Um, the kids down here play with a toughness. They they really do. And, says, yes. and they, they kind of, I know there's a lot of Latin influence down here too, but a lot of really passionate baseball players. And they don't mind, you know, Taking a taking a second baseman out if they if they had in in a in a clean way you know they they play they play very hard down here so we're not exactly on the same you know as some other parts of the country perhaps but uh, they do there there is a lot of uh, a lot of intensity in in games down here in Florida yeah I mean you can go hard into the bag without you know five feet to the right five feet to the left even though that was allowed. At one point in time, but yeah, going hard into the bag, I think is part of baseball. I, I the kids don't know how to slide now, yeah. unfortunately. So well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's. A, I see that. I see that on kids uh, um, uh, going back to a base. Uh, you know, kids on second base, and a pitcher does a pickoff move, and a kid just face plants into the ground instead of gets back. You know, he's just got a face full of dirt. Uh, you know, that's instinctive. You know, it's like yeah, you got to work on it. It's like everything. Bob, you back? Yeah. Should I hit yeah, this? I'm not sure if no. he is. No. Yeah. Um, Dave, what do you think? There's probably a good time to to, uh, to wrap yeah. it up. Yeah, we're about at the end anyway. Uh, so, good stuff. Give yeah. us some time. Yeah. With a little bit of technical issues with, with Bob. Um, but I, I think our audience got to sense a, a very passionate uh, and very caring, you know, former big, you know, uh, scout who has still yeah. a lot of, yeah. a lot to offer. And, and like we say, you know, like this aptly named, uh, you know, real voices of the game network we have here. Bob Johnson is a real voice of the game. Dave, uh, final thoughts and announcements before we head out of here. Yeah, just another quick What's thank you to our audience, 17,800 subscribers. They got a hand, chance to hear one of the great advanced scouts, one of the great minds in the baseball game today. So I know we held our end of the bargain here. We're building a better baseball IQ throughout there through the 72 countries are in, grassroots to the front offices. Uh, you know, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is the way you can hear us. Make sure you hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I told Bob I, I connected with him during the show, actually. So we'll be adding him to our, our list of followers there. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, as we promise you guys, there's a lot of uncomfortable truths out that are going on in baseball. We heard Bob address a lot of them today. We ask our audience to just prepare to embrace those as we, we talk about them. Do your own homework. Do your own research. Um, but as a reminder... Any of the little uncomfortable uh, misdeeds or lies, we're not going to let slide by. We're going to hit you straight on with that. So we appreciate our audience uh, staying true to form with with honoring that with us. And um, you know, as we say, do your own do your own research. Don't don't believe us. Uh, see what's out there, and and uh, we'll keep bringing you this great content every week. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's real important to to have as many voices represented as possible. You know, uh, uh, we don't need to be a society of same think, or you know, in our sport as well. We, we need you know, to hear from from the voices that have you know helped make this sport so great. Um, you know, any anything that could advance the sport—that's our mission. We're here to to make baseball better, and and obviously, you know, we're we're in, I take a lot of pride and want to really connect with that grassroots and and hope a lot of young young fans are listening, young players are listening to this, and they're gaining something. So, our thanks to Bob Johnson. Our thanks to Dave D'Agostino and. Um, you know, we'll come back at you with some more hard-hitting uh, uh-huh. guests and, uh-huh. and content next week. And um, Joe Forsaro, and we are out of here. Doing what you love.
Hello. <laughs>